Hi, folks. This is Dave with the That's God podcast. I just want to let you know that my second interview with uh, Graham Care is a part 2A and a part 2B. You're about to watch part 2B. So if you haven't seen 2A yet, I highly suggest you go watch that one first as it provides a lot of context into what you're about to uh, about to watch. So um, I also want to let you know that there are some technical difficulties in part 2B and the video part. Uh, had some new equipment and, uh, you know, high learning curve, things like that. So I apologize for that. The audio is, is great. So you can certainly follow along, but there's a couple, uh, gaffes in there with uh, some video things. So anyway, I apologize, but I think we got them all worked out. So part three and on, uh, should be uh, good to go. Anyway, please enjoy. Yeah, very good. Okay. Well, so, uh, now we're in the mid late sixties. Yes. And this company called Fremantle of Canada comes knocking at your door <laughs> and says, You're gonna be bigger than you can even imagine. And we have we got Six, a contract for you. Six hundred and fifty shows. Yeah. A two million dollar assessment um, contract at that stage. At the same time that Trina was feeding quarters into a slot machine in the American embassy where we were meeting. Um, and she actually got the, she got all these quarters she, <laughs> as I was signing this contract for $2 million. Yeah. Um, it's like playing the penny slots where well, yeah. uh, you have millions of dollars over here. Well, we decided that we were going to do this. We had to do it because they'd come and repossessed my kitchen equipment from my home i broken with my management i couldn't tolerate it mm. i couldn't tolerate being a slave to a system anymore mm -hmm. i hated it mm -hmm. and i was buying myself out at ten thousand dollars a month mm. um, and i had to get two hundred and fifty thousand dollars wow across to him to buy myself out of the oh contract wow and um and I set up, I, I mortgaged our house and everything else in it, every, everything in our lives. We made an Italian series which went nowhere. Um, and they came and pulled the fridge out and the stovetop. And I was cooking on a primer stove in, a, in, a, in our home. Wow. And I, I, I didn't know what to do, <laughs> really. Um, and this guy turns up and with this 650, I, <laughs> I knew I couldn't do 650, 195 new shows. And the most I'd ever done was 39. And that was stripping me. I, you know, I was giving it everything. Yeah. I didn't have the ability to do it, mm. but he said, if you got 65 shows, I said, yes. He said, well, let's do those. It's like Australia. And, um, uh, and then we'll see whether it works or not. And it was almost exactly what happened in Australia. Mm. The show started in New York City, and it was, it was distributed by J. Walter Thompson, the largest ad agency in the world, yeah. were doing this distribution, and they bartered me. They said, you take this program, you know, and, and we'll give you X amount of sponsorship for it. We'll buy time. You don't have to pay us a penny. 
we'll we'll give you the program wow and and we'll get time back from you from that for doing that yeah and that started in new york at 12 noon um uh, in nbc and within the within the recording period of the second series uh, within the six weeks of that it had reached every single in distribution every single city in the United States. So the program started in New York City. Um, um, I'm going to say it was December of um, 60, uh, Eight? 68, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, and I didn't expect it. Um, to do very well. Um, and I didn't, in their first series, I did not jump over a chair with a glass of wine. Okay. That happened in series two. Um, okay. Uh, so the first 65 shows were recorded on the basis of two on Monday, three on Tuesday, two on Wednesday, you know, that mm-hmm. thing. Until in six weeks, we'd done 65 shows. Mm. That's that's a huge amount yes. of thing with a live audience. Yeah. Yeah. And we came up, Trina and I, on our own, and our children were in boarding school back in New Zealand mm-hmm. um, um, and Australia. Um, oh, while, you're, while you had moved out here, your, yes. your kids were back in a boarding yes. school? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and um, when that first series hit and then went as wide as it did and then started to go internationally as well, um, it was very clear that, that I didn't have any more programs done. So on the way up to uh, um, Canada from Australia, we stopped off at a number of restaurants that mm-hmm. were famous and would give us um, their recipes. Yeah. And so I was then um, going to famous places and getting enough of my reputation was now starting. And Life magazine did a piece and time as well. Mm-hmm. And it, it was all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so... Be- then nations would start getting in touch. Can you come here and mm. visit this? So we would we would cluster our way to Canada and then cluster our way back to Australia again. Yeah. Um, I'm, do you know, I look back upon this time and I am actually incredulous that we were able to do it. Mm. Um, we just lost sight of our kids altogether. Yeah. Um, and we we went into the studios at eleven in the morning. We got back by eleven at night. And uh, well, in your in your heyday, you were doing six shows a day. No, 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 three was the maximum three, with okay. one audience. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was three. Okay. Yeah. But we did 65 in six weeks. Yeah. And then a day of commercials and then jump on a plane and then do six weeks of research and mm-hmm. uh, around the world and then do the test and development work on mm-hmm. it as well. That's 19 and a half hours of my personal time, not including travel. Yeah. 
that was involved in the preparation of each one mm -hmm. of those shows. Um, so we crawled out on the bow of life and the bow broke eventually yeah. with the traffic accident. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, so that's what I wanted to ask. I knew that you were recording from like 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. or that's you were gone from 11 a.m. to 11 yes. p.m. Yes. Which, like you say, that leaves no time for kids. Well, you don't see them. You leave messages for them on the fridge door. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so how did they respond to that? You're, you're a big star. You, you, I'm sure you're living in a great place. Well, we lived in a marvelous home in Rockcliffe Park in Ottawa, um, mm -hmm. which used to be a, a, an embassy. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was our house. Yeah. Um, we mm -hmm. we dig a, dug a big hole in the garden and put a swimming pool in. Mm -hmm. um, my, the, the, the downstairs basement was converted into a test and development kitchen mm -hmm. for me. Um, and that's how we lived. Yeah. Um, when 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 uh, Prime Minister Trudeau was in town, I was out somewhere filming, and then they they, they would jokingly say, "When Trudeau goes away, then Graham comes back." Between the two of them, <laughs> we we've got a city. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about your kids a little bit. So uh, what was their? Uh, you could have all the things. You could have all the swimming pools and a great place to live, but. If mom and dad aren't around, it's got to be very hard. Well, youngest one was just born because she was born between epi um, series one and two. Mm. Um, okay. Trina was pregnant with with the first series that she did. Yeah. Um, and um, so we had a Karatani nurse who looked after the little one. Um, she, that's a special kind of nurse in New Zealand called Karatani, and they are, um, they're the best nannies in the world, mm. shall we put it this yeah. way. And, and we had a wonderful woman that looked after our little one. Then there was Andy. Um, Andy was, you know, seven, eight, nine. Um, and um, our eldest daughter was uh, no, 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 let me back back he he was 12 um so tessa was 14 15 mm -hmm. and um andy had a tough time at school he he was in boarding school and in, in in as we started and then came to school and he had a tough time at school and uh, he was being bullied from that. Mm. And I remember giving him a baseball bat and telling him how to threaten to break their legs. <laughs> and, um, and he went to school with the baseball bat and repeated it, and they left him alone after that. Wow. So that worked. Um, <laughs> um, our oldest daughter, we were watching um, Lawrence of Arabia. You remember that movie? Mm -hmm. We were interrupted in that movie with a lady who came up um, and with a little flashlight and said, you are Graham Cairn? I said, yes. And she said, uh, your daughter's in hospital and you need to get there. Oh, wow. She'd had overdosed with drugs um, mm. in order to let us know that she would like to be known. Yeah. In her journal, she had the wiring diagram, the 
basic wiring diagram to blow up my car. Wow. So um, you could say that our relationship was not that great. Yeah. Um, um, I I must say that she's um, in her mid-60s now, and we have the most wonderful relationship. That's awesome. Every Sunday we have... Yeah. um, Anyway, so aside from that. um, So we put Andy um, into a, a Quaker boarding school, and um, he was taking scotch from my bar in the house mm. and, um, and port- apportioning it out between his friends and the club, <laughs> <laughs> which, as you can imagine, didn't go over very well. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so we sorted that one out. I also remember there was a, um, quite a lot of young people of their age um, that were attracted to the fact that we had a swimming pool because mm. not everyone had. Right. So we had quite a lot of ad- young adolescents. Mm-hmm. So I remember going to them and addressing them as a group and letting them know, I really love the fact that you come over and you're enjoying our pool and our family. And I just want to let you know that you're most welcome. Hmm. However, if you actually bring one item of drugs into this area and mm-hmm. this home, I will take you immediately down to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and turn you in. Hmm. And I, it won't, I, I won't be concerned about your parents and going to them first. I will take you first to the RCMP. And you just need to know, I give you my solemn promise. Mm. I think that was a a, a cool thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this was at the height of the summer of love and and all this. You know, it's late 60s. It's early 70s. And uh, drugs is is the thing. It was par for the course, and, and I knew that it was happening, mm-hmm. but it was, I was not going to allow it to happen on my yeah. turf. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so um, that's, that's it. I mean, we actually managed to do those programs, and I would have loved to have had another 10 hours of research and development um, to have made some of those great dishes <laughs> even greater or, mm-hmm. or as great as I remember them to be at the Tour d'Argent in Paris. And my reproduction of it was not as good as I remember mm. it. So I, um, I had this international reputation that I think had more to do with my personality than my expertise. Mm-hmm. And I so wanted to do it right mm-hmm. and to, be, to, to do it really well. Yeah. And the first six minutes was atrocious for me most of the time. It was terrifyingly bad jokes that I had <laughs> to tell. And, and then escape into my kitchen. And my kitchen was a place where I had the chance to be able to do what I want to do. There was tremendous tension in yeah. those. 
Well, and you had a, a short period of time to put it all together. I know there's a lot of editing, so I'm sure the cooking show didn't take 22 minutes or whatever. Yes. But um, but I'm sure it was very stressful to, to get that all done. But you mentioned, like, the, I remember the first part of the show started off with you uh, telling a story. Yes. And lots of videos of yes. places you have been. Yes. And in fact, going back to the name Galloping Gourmet... Um, I think that started from, like you were talking about, you went all around the world to all these fantastic restaurants. Yes. And you you did some whirlwind trip in 35 days. Yes. And you kind of nicknamed it. It's exactly the right. Galloping I Gourmet. and the primary wine man of Australia, mm -hmm. Len Evans, and myself were given a round-the-world ticket, first class, on Qantas Airlines, to celebrate their initial round the world oh, wow. thing, yeah, and we they would pay for every single thing that happened to us on the thirty-seven days. Wow! So they literally poured us off the plane <laughs> at the end, and um, and that's what got my and uh, he he my friend Len wanted to call it the Galloping Gluttons, and I said no, um, I think it should be Gourmets and. And um, so we wrote a book about it, and that's what Qantas wanted. They wanted us to write the book. Mm -hmm. And it's a very fun read. Mm -hmm. um, and it just seemed to me like we were doing something which was out of this world. We were going to great places and meeting great people, and at no cost. Yeah. That's... <laughs> that, that, that has to be cool. <laughs> that's, that's an awesome trip right there. Yeah. That's what gave me the idea for the series. Yeah. yeah. And that's well, where the name came from. And so I'm guessing a lot of the dishes that you did on the program came from those various restaurants. Oh, yes. In fact, we if I wanted to know how to make stroganoff, we'd go to Moscow. Yeah. And we'd find the through the Politburo... We'd find the the place where they thought it was made best. Yeah, and we would get the recipe from there. That's the way I, I set about doing it. Yeah. So I'm sure whenever you are in a crowd of people, people will come up to you and they want to tell you about their favorite episode. Do you have what are the what are some of the things that people will tell you that they enjoy the most, or what's their favorite episode? Or things that happen on the show. Yeah. I think people, they, they, most people were inquisitive. Um, you know, um, what was it like to film in Russia in the middle of the Cold War? Mm. You know, in the USSR. Yeah. What was that like? Mm -hmm. um, and um, we, we had our stories about that one. Um, was there ever a guest that you had that didn't like the when you pulled mm -hmm. them out at the end? Did anybody ever say they didn't like it? And I said, yes, we did have one. Yeah. We had a breakdown with the camera, and the kind of the the dish went sour, and she didn't like it, and I didn't like it either. So we both <laughs> said so. <laughs> um, but I think that that. There were some people that understood. It, I, one of the things, I cooked a, a souffle with Brisbane prawns and, and um, 
soated in bourbon um, in layers in this cheese souffle. And to do a souffle that takes 40 minutes to cook in a 30-minute program, it <laughs> has to be done to a degree beforehand. Yeah. And it was rupturing my normal interplay with the audience as they, I was having to do things that I had to do exactly right yeah. and to get it working. And, and the audience was passive. But the souffle was magnificent. <laughs> when I spooned it out, I could scarcely believe that I had done something as well as that. It was perfect. Yeah. And I was waiting for Trina's A+, you know. And it was a B. Oh, my goodness. I said, a B? She said, you were boring. <laughs> well, I did you see the souffle? I don't care what the souffle does. You were boring. She You're, wants entertainment. Yes. Yeah. And so, and, and, and that's, the, that's what I would get from people. They loved the stories. They would tell yeah. me about the, the joke, uh, but not about the recipe. Yeah. And um, so that, that was the story of my life, was every episode had tension in it. Yeah. Um, so I have, I'm going to tell you my favorite story. Yes. So I asked you about your knife skills early on yes. in, the, in the other podcast. And uh, the thing that stands out in my mind is that you have an onion and you are going a thousand miles an hour on that onion yes. Yes. and making super thin cuts yes. as, as only yeah. you can do, you know? Yeah. But the audience realizes that you are not watching your hands at all. Yes. You were talking to them and you were not paying any attention to your hands at all. And the right. camera work was awesome because I think I remember it, they would look at you, talk to the audience, they would go to your hands and yes. they would look at the audience and the audience is terrified. Yeah. Because they realize this is probably the last galloping gourmet show there's ever going to be on TV because you're about to cut all your fingers off. Yes. But there was tension, like you said, and it yeah. was hilarious. There, well done. Yes, there, there was one where I had, I had a rather fancy watch in those days, and I pulled my watch off and put it on the counter and set the timer in order to chop two onions at, for a world speed record. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I was... Doing this and turning around and uh, yeah yes I I have the ability to chop without looking yes That's and and my my fingers yes yes I can attest he has ten fingers still so now however that is an unprofessional thing to do you don't prove you're a, a, a professional by chopping that way. Mm -hmm. I was taught to chop that way by chef in the, my father's hotel. But that is not the way you handle a knife properly. Mm. You handle it, it the, the knife stays on the counter, the, the onion is under the blade, mm -hmm. and it goes in mm -hmm. and cut and forward. And you see chefs nowadays on television doing that. Yeah. This business is showmanship. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were very good at it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so the success of that, of Galloping Gourmet, your wife Trina was nominated for two Daytime Emmy Awards. Yes. And only lost out to the Today Show, I yes, think, that's both right. times? Yeah. That's incredible. 
What a feat on her! Yeah, on her behalf. Yes, I'm, I didn't. I didn't get any awards. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we could just go on and on about the uh, the Galloping Gourmet Show, and there are stories after stories after stories. And one of the things that you were called uh, during that time, you were the high priest of hedonism, if I remember right. That's what the press. One part of the press told me. Yeah, and yeah. which to me is like uh, self-indulgence and pleasure yes. and things <clears throat> well, like that. Um, and... Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure as the uttermost goal for oh, life. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So did you view, view yourself as that as well? No, I don't think so. I mean, I knew that what we were saying to people that we were doing on the show is, I will go to wherever they are doing that the best that the mm -hmm. world does, and I will go that to get that recipe, and I will do that best, the best that I can do for you. Mm -hmm. That was the promise. Yeah. So I was looking for a neck up responsibility to food. That was the most important thing for me, neck up. Yeah. Um, senses, I smell everything. And if all of those things came off, yes. Yeah. So Nailed that's it. why it's the high priest of hedonism. Yeah. Because they has to knock that ball out of the park. Yeah. 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 Well, I was just a uh, uh, early teens, you know, during that time. And what I remember is just, like I said it before, you, there was a guy that was having fun in the kitchen, but had skills beyond skills and was putting amazing things together. But it was a guy in the kitchen, which you didn't see very much, you know, certainly yes. not in the 60s, yeah. you know. And, uh, uh, and I think you paved the way of a lot of male chefs yeah. that said, hey, look. That's a an attractive occupation and something that I want to go after. Look at what this guy's doing. And so I congratulations almost all for being of able the leading that. chefs of the day have told me that they started that way. Yeah. 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 Well that's amazing. Um well so I think in the last year, uh, you started adding guests. You mentioned some guest hosts. And you had people like uh, Tiny Tim. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Rich Little, Nipsey Russell. Liberace. Was Liberace, the, yeah. yes. You yeah. had all these people coming on to cook with you. and uh, Or were they cooking with you? I was no. trying to go back in my memory. I don't necessarily remember a lot of those shows. No, no, you wouldn't. Um, you see, that happened after the accident because okay. I couldn't jump over a chair anymore mm -hmm. and I couldn't stand up for longer than 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. I was partially paralyzed on one side. Yeah. So I did 65 shows with leading celebrities. Instead of telling the joke at the beginning and showing the movie, what I did was take one of the previously recorded programs and have them sit and watch that and comment about that between them. Oh, okay. What did they think about that food and yeah. and everything else? Yeah. Not really. Yeah. It, 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 I did it because I was required to do it under contract and it seemed like I, it was a compromise that I was able to try and do something for them. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, 
it, it, it just didn't have what the other program had. Yeah. 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 Well, so this is, uh, <coughs> I want, so correct me if I'm wrong. Was it April of 1971 when the accident yes. happened? Okay. So you and Trina are on in California. Yes. You're taking a trip to do whatever. I don't know if you're looking for Well, we were doing the or... last series of the Galloping Gourmet, 65, mm -hmm. and it was a loop around the entire United States. Oh, okay. Looking at the great dishes of the world yeah. that had arrived in the United States and been changed to fit into our culture. Yeah. Okay. So you're in California? We're, we're being driven by motorhome from one um, place all the way around. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And you get hit by yes. a, a vegetable truck. vegetable truck of all things. Yes. Yeah, empty. But it's devastating, and like you had mentioned, it's you are half paralyzed, and yes. Trina has she uh, very is, complicated. <clears throat> she injuries. actually departed um, from any form of production right there and then. She mm -hmm. said, "I." cannot do this you know I, I i commented to we crawled out on a bow of life and it broke mm -hmm. and that's when it broke and she said to me i can't do another minute of this yeah and i really couldn't either mm -hmm. so we had to cancel the tour and mm -hmm. go to the insurance companies and you mm -hmm. know and take our whatever we could yeah yeah so uh, I think that's where we're going to leave this podcast. We're going to leave okay. you guys in an accident yes, in, okay. uh, in California. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you have to come back for part three to, uh, to find out what happens from there. But this basically is the end of the Galloping Gourmet. The Galloping Gourmet Yes, show. I think the way that we could end this is to say that if you ever saw that program, you would have seen me leaping over a dining room chair. Mm-hmm. Now we find out, as we enter into the last of our chats together, <laughs> where I landed. Because mm -hmm. that's, I took off into the Galloping Gourmet, and we'll find out where yeah. I landed. Yeah. yeah, excellent. All right. Well, stay tuned, and uh, as Graham says, God bless. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs>